You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. All right, I'm here. Aaron's here. Tommy joining us uh, by phone. You don't feel well today. You okay? Well, I, yeah, I got a cold and a cough, but uh, I'm fighting it off to keep, you know, to, it's manageable. Did you get, uh, did you get your, you got your flu shot. Yeah, but you didn't. I didn't, and I feel great. <laughs> That's good. I feel great, knock on wood. I wish I, I wish I came in now so I could get you sick. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, real quickly for everybody listening, uh, we will not be doing a podcast tomorrow, Thursday, and Friday. Um, and then Monday, I am actually taking some time off. Uh, I've got a niece getting married out in Park City, Utah, and we are heading out there um, tomorrow night. And uh, we won't be doing a show tomorrow. Uh, Thursday, Friday, or Monday. So I'm just giving everybody a heads up on that. All right, no show for a few days. We're through the Super Bowl. Take a deep breath. We got we got a while to go before free agency and the draft. And you know, I'm sure we'll be in here breaking down the Indy Combine numbers uh, in a few weeks, yep. which I don't want to do actually. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, just to tell everybody that up front, uh, Tommy was not on the show yesterday because it was Monday. I did want to get your thoughts on the Super Bowl to start. Well, uh, I thought it was a good game. I thought it was, you know, fun to watch. Uh, I never thought that the Chiefs were really out of it and were going to lose. I just, I mean, because I've always operated under the assumption that uh, if there's any time on a clock, the Chiefs can, can just score so quickly, no matter how good the 49ers defense is. Uh so uh, I, it was almost like, you know, uh, when you're watching a boxing match and you know a guy in the later rounds is, 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 is going to win them, the championship rounds, they call them. The Chiefs are very good at that. I mean, all three of their playoff wins were, were comeback wins uh, over Houston, over uh, Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee, and then uh, in the Super Bowl. Right. So I just have ultimate faith in Pat Mahomes, uh, like Andy Reid does, and like his receivers do, his his teammates do, that he's going to find a way to bring them back. Sort of like Russell Wilson, you know, in in the early years of of Russell Wilson, and still to this day, to some extent. uh, It wasn't Kyle Shanahan's finest moment. I don't think he was public enemy number one when it came to bad coaching decisions. I think he made some mistakes, but, uh, I mean, you know, people just love to vilify Kyle. Wow. And, and, you know, (laughs) they just couldn't wait to say what a lousy coach he was, you know? I mean, this guy's one of the best coaches in the NFL, and it's not even close. Yeah. And, you know, he he made some strategic mistakes in, in terms of strategy at the end of the first half. Uh, in particular, maybe not pushing it, but he had. He it wasn't like he didn't know what was what he was doing. He had a strategy. It just turned out to be the wrong one. Yes. Yeah, so, um, Gil Brandt, the longtime Dallas Cowboys general manager, the architect um, of those Cowboy teams of the seventies uh, and eighties, in particular, early eighties early to mid-80s, he tweeted out, I think it was late Sunday night or early yesterday, 
Quote, seriously, we're going to blame that loss on Kyle Shanahan? Come on, man. If you pulled the general managers of all 32 NFL teams and asked them who they'd rather have, their current coach or Kyle Shanahan, my guess is that no less than 75% would swap without batting an eye. It wasn't the play calling. Um, That was from Gil Brandt. And you're, you know, I think that Kyle... I don't know. I think part of of what we the, the Kyle bashing that we hear is part in part because of what happened in Super Bowl Fifty One, and then we hear it a little bit more around here um, because there are some people that still blame Kyle and Mike for RG 3s demise, which is right. hysterical. But you know, one of the things I found interesting yesterday in listening and in, in watching a lot of things is people kept referring to Kyle Shanahan losing two Super Bowls as a head coach. And they actually put up Kyle Shanahan now in two Super Bowls has allowed four, 25 and 21 points, 46 to nothing. He's, his teams have been outscored in the fourth quarter. And I was screaming like, hello, he was not the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons for Super Bowl 51. He was the offensive coordinator. Dan Quinn was the head coach. Dan Quinn was yeah, the like, like- like, Dan Quinn had nothing to do with that loss. Exactly. Now, I mentioned this yesterday over and over again. The error that was committed in Super Bowl 51 is not comparable to the perceived errors of Sunday. Um, that was a massive, you know, game clock score management error. They were in chip shot field goal range for an 11 point lead with three minutes to go in the Super Bowl. And they dropped Matt Ryan back and he got sacked for 12 yards. And then they dropped him back again and there was a holding penalty and they couldn't kick a field goal. Like you have to, you have to understand in that spot, we kick a field goal, it's pretty much game over. Let's run the ball twice. Now, part of that. Everybody blames Kyle. Well, he was not the head coach. Dan Quinn was the head coach. Dan Quinn should have said when he heard that he was going to call a pass play, no, you're not. You're not th- You're not throwing the football. I'm the head coach. We're running it yeah. twice, and we're kicking a field goal to take an 11-point lead. That's how we're doing this thing here. Um, so, you know, part of that should have been on Quinn. Uh, Sunday's errors, uh, you know, I – I think he wasn't aggressive enough in the first half. I think he was not. Um, I think it, it, up twenty to seventeen after a five and a half yard first round uh, first down run, they should have done what they did really well, which is run the football. But none of those things are comparable to what happened in Super Bowl Fifty One. And I agree uh, with Gil Brandt. I don't know if it's seventy five percent or eighty five percent or or sixty five percent, but the average is probably around seventy five percent. I do think three three fourths of NFL teams would probably. Swap Swap out their head coach for Kyle in a New York second. Look, uh, and Charlie Cassidy said the same thing. He said the same thing to, to pin this on Kyle Shanahan. It, it, it's ridiculous, but but you know people just uh, he's, people just don't. Well, particularly here in Washington, obviously they really don't like him. There's national media. There's a perception that he's the, the coach's son. And, uh, you know, was born on third base as a result. I mean, and there's no recognition of his brilliance uh, as a head coach. You know, I've heard, I've heard he, not only is is he obviously a smart play caller, he has a great relationship, I've been told, with his players. His players really like him. You know, and I mean, you didn't hear a lot of grousing after the game about what went wrong. Uh, on the sideline 
on, on from the coaching staff from, from from the players on that 49ers team. Right. And uh, so I mean uh, he he could coach my football team any day of the week. Yeah, mine as well. Um mine as well. I mean it's 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 such a joke, you know, because how you know there are thirty other teams that would love to have been uh, in the Super Bowl in the fourth quarter with a twenty to ten lead with nine minutes to go in the game uh, on Sunday, and the reason that they were there are a lot. There are lots of reasons, but number one is they're very well coached and they have been. And and um, but at the same time, I I you know I can say uh, simultaneously, people. I, I always struggle why people struggle with this. I can say I think Kyle Shanahan's a really good coach and I would take him tomorrow and then also say I think he made a mistake or two in the game on Sunday. You know what? Yeah. Uh, uh, Bill, yeah. Pel- Bill Belichick makes mistakes. Um, that's happened uh, before too. Um, I'm not comparing him to Bel- Belichick. Uh, not yet anyway. Um, and, and what's interesting is people really, I mean the second person people ragged on was uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. And how he's a, an average quarterback at best. I think that's true. Well, if that's the case, then Kyle Shanahan really is a hell of a coach. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I you know it, because he got he got them to the Super Bowl with uh, basically you know an average quarterback. I think he is. Uh, look, I think that Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, there are things about his game that I like. There are things that I don't like. Um, but I, I think he's, you know, he's somewhere in the middle, uh, you know, best case somewhere in the middle. Um, but they had an exceptional defense and an exceptional running game. And really, I think Jimmy Garoppolo performed at the level that he performed at this year, which at times was exceptional because of their scheme, you know, and, yeah. their, and their ability to, to run the ball. Because really, every Shanahan scheme has always been uh, successful only if they ran the ball successfully, which they always seem to do well. Um, but Garoppolo, you know, Garoppolo had a decent year. He threw 27 touchdown passes, 13 picks, threw for nearly 4,000 yards. You know, he didn't have a terrible year, but a lot of it was off the play action, off the zone run scheme, which is what they were succeeding at on Sunday too. So, you know, I, I mentioned this, like as far as the end of the first half goes, I think if Kyle had said, look, uh, they're punting from midfield. We are going to get the ball to start the second half. I don't want to give it back to Mahomes. Our offense is predicated on being balanced. It's hard to go 95 yards or 90 yards just throwing the football. Uh, it's hard to be balanced in a minute and a half. You got to th- really throw the football. And I thought they were going to punt us inside the 10. And that they, he, he didn't say that necessarily. He said some of that. And then uh, on the second and five throw, if he, if he had said, "Look, we we had gotten to where we had gotten to by running the ball and running early down play action," and Jimmy had, had been he was 10 for 12. I think before that particular throw on play action throws. So, whatever. Um, again, not nearly what happened in Super Bowl Fifty One. Uh, but uh, but I can, you can nitpick and and not be wrong uh, on some of this stuff either. Um, so I I was gonna um, I, I was gonna a- add to the Super Bowl conversation with this, and this is something I probably should have prepared you for, but you'll be good um, off the cuff anyway in thinking of other examples. So Patrick Mahomes just completed basically his first two years of, of, of being a starting quarterback, Tommy. He's only 24 years old. He has started 37 or 36, I'm sorry, combined regular season and playoff games now. 
And you can make the case that he is already an all-time great. He's gone from sort of future star to all-time great quickly. He's got a regular season MVP in his first two years of starting. He's got a Super Bowl MVP in his first two years of starting. You could argue that he would have had two MVPs this year had he not missed games for an injury this year. Um, He has uh, played in five playoff games. They've scored 30 or more points in all five of the playoff games. He's already got, to his credit, one of the all-time great comebacks in postseason history. Um, you start comparing him to other guys that are in the Hall of Fame or even a guy like Eli who people expect to be in the Hall of Fame. This guy has already accomplished a ridiculous amount in the first two years, 76 touchdowns, um, over 9,100 yards passing um, in the first two years. He could autopilot the rest of his career, have you know decent results, but not win another big-time award and be considered Hall of Fame worthy already. My question to you, and I pose this to callers on the radio show, is think of other starts to an NFL career in particular that match this one. It's real, they're, they're very hard to find. We found a couple of them, but they're pretty hard to find. What, 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 what do you think of when you think of Mahomes' first two years? Well, I, I, I think a name is. I think of Joe Namath, who basically won the Super Bowl, and it's I think his third, his third year, his third or fourth year in the NFL, uh, the most important Super Bowl uh, probably in history. Threw for four thousand yards uh, in a fourteen-game season, I think in his second or third year uh, of the AFL, uh, and that that record stood for like forever, fourteen or fifteen years. Until somebody matched it, uh, I think it was Dan Fouts who did. So Namath comes to mind. Uh, Gail Sayers maybe comes to mind. You know, uh, somebody like that. Uh, I, I agree with you. I mean, you know, usually guy quarterbacks who have an NFL MVP on their resume and a Super Bowl MVP on their resume, they wind up in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, so if, I, I agree with you. Basically, Eli's a 500 career quarterback, but he's got two Super Bowl rings and one Super Bowl MVP. Um, yeah. And he's only a two time Pro Bowler, and people think he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. So you, you came up with a couple of them. You know, the name of thing is really interesting because the 4,000 yard season was such an outlier for the time. Now, that was. Yeah. The, you know, that was an AFL season as an AFL quarterback in 1967, playing an AFL schedule pre-merger, Super Bowl era, yes, um, the beginning of the Super Bowl era. But it, it's such an outlier um, in terms of, 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 of that thing. I mean, Dan Fouts, Dan Fouts was really the first before Marino to start throwing for 4,000 yards. It was just rarely done. When Marino, Marino to me is the comp, and Kurt Warner is the other one, and I'll tell you why in a moment on Kurt Warner. Um, Marino, Marino's 1984 season was basically a 5,000-yard season, 48 touchdowns, 17 interceptions, when no one or very few were throwing for 4,000 yards, and he just went out and threw for 5,000 yards, a season which, by the way, you know, 26 years later, 
is still, I'm sorry, 36 years later, is still a top 10 season all time. Like you've the other nine 5,000 yard plus, uh, see, or the, 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 the other 11, excuse me, 5,000 uh, yard plus seasons have all been done since 2011. He did it in 1984. Now, Fouts and those Charger teams of the early 80s, Fouts was the first guy to start going over 4,000 yards on a regular right. basis. No one else was doing it, though, back then. Nobody. You know, nobody was. You, you, you really didn't get guys to go over 4,000 on a regular basis until the 90s, let alone the 80s. And Marino went over 5,000 yards. Marino's start to his career is comparable because his first three th- seasons as a full-time starter, he threw for 14,000 yards and he threw for 122 touchdowns. Wow. You're so, right, Marino's. The obvious one, yeah. Marino's the obvious one. The other one is Kurt Warner, if we're talking about quarterbacks. Kurt Warner's first three years were off the charts. You know, first of all, we know the story. He's bagging groceries at a high V supermarket in Iowa, in Des Moines. And Trent Green goes down in the preseason. And this is a guy that's played Arena Football League. And he comes in, and in his first year starting in 1999, he throws for 4,300 yards, 41 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, and wins the NFL MVP. I mean, that's an unbelievable, obviously an unbelievable start to his career. And Kurt Warner, in two of his first three years, was the NFL MVP. You know, he in two of his he, he won two regular season MVPs, a Super Bowl MVP, and was a three time Pro Bowler in, Pro Bowler in his first three years of starting, and was putting up god ridiculous. I mean, numbers. It was unbelievable the numbers he was putting up. Marino and Warner, and then I'm going to give you one more, Tommy. Eric Dickerson's first two seasons in the NFL were all time. He rushed for 1,808 yards and 18 touchdowns in his rookie year and then broke O.J. Simpson's record in his second year in the NFL, rushing for 2,105 yards and 14 touchdowns. Like Dickerson's first two years were off the charts. Off the charts. Incredible. Um, But I, I don't know. I think we're watching a guy in Mahomes that you can already say at this point, barring like a catastrophic career ending injury. He's basically a Hall of Famer based on what he's done in his first in his first two years. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean you're you're absolutely like I said. I mean with those kind of awards on your resume, uh, and if you have uh, an average NFL career the rest of the time, I mean it doesn't matter if you win them in the tenth year or the second or third year. You know they still count. So you're right. His ticket to Canton is probably already punched. Unless he gets hurt. Jim Brown was the NFL MVP his first two seasons. <laughs> like, yeah. I almost feel like Jim Brown gets dis- gets eliminated from every conversation because everybody already knows he's the greatest football player in the yeah. history of the sport. Um, Talk about an outlier. Oh, what an outlier he was. Um, yeah. couple things to get to. Uh, Ron Rivera. I got something to get to, too, whenever you get to Okay. Um, whenever you can. I, I want to okay. play this soundbite from Ron Rivera from Larry Michael's Redskin Nation show yesterday. Our left tackle. What's the health of, health of Trent? You know, we're getting ready. We're going to go through our process on, on the 10th. We'll talk about it. we got to get Trent in. we got to sit him down, see where he is, see how he is health-wise, too. And when we have not really had the contact we need to have to know. So until we know, we've got But he's still our guy. 
Okay, so until we go through this process, we're not going to know where everybody fits. These are pieces to the puzzle that we've got to put together. Um, do you find it strange that they, that he and the organization, that they haven't talked to Trent Williams? He's been, uh, he's been the head coach now for, I think, a month. Yes, very strange. I would have thought that would have been one of the first phone calls. And, you know, not, you know what? Unless Ron Rivera is doing the right thing, and they don't really want Trent to come back, and they want to trade him. But even if they do want to do that, they need to know how healthy he is. They need to know what they've got to trade. Or maybe it's better so, that they don't know how healthy he is. But anybody's well, going to no, make passing a physical a condition yeah. of the trade, I would think. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, look, that's what I think should happen. It, it was the smart thing to do before he went off on the organization. It was the smart thing to do when he went off on the organization. It's the smart thing to do now. You need to move on, get what you can from him. Don't be paying a 32-year-old tackle who can't stay healthy during a regular season a ridiculous amount of money. They need to move on from him. Well, I agree with that. I do. I I just find it a little bit odd um, that Ron Rivera hasn't talked to Trent Williams yet. That they they haven't reached out to find out you know if there's any interest in coming back. They have. They they don't have Donald Penn even under contract, and the other guy Christian, you know, based on what we've seen here in the first couple of years, doesn't look like an elite left tackle by any stretch of the imagination. They need, you know, the, Ron Rivera thinks this is a quick turnaround, and part of that is going to be, you know, I would think contingent on a young quarterback playing well. It'd be nice to have an actual left tackle. Donald Penn played well at times last year, but you don't even know if you can bring him back. I just think it's strange, and and I, I just... The one fear I have with Rivera, who I am... I'm a fan of, and was a fan of, and I'm glad that the Redskins hired him. Just too many of the Mr. Snyders, too much potential, as we've seen in the past of becoming enamored with the with the owner and with the size of the yacht and spending time on the boat and getting caught up in all of that stuff. And no, call Trent Williams. Call him. I mean, how hard can it be? Let's find out if we got a left tackle. What are we waiting for? I, 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 that, that, that's, I, I'm not – trust me, I'm not turning – um, in, in, into a negative position. I'm still bullish, very bullish, and I'm going to continue to be until games are played and probably a season or two are played. I just know that that place, there's a shitload of arrogance, as we know, um, and there's already some puffing out of the chest over the hiring of Ron Rivera. And now on top of that, is Ron going to become one of the guys as well? Is he going to be hanging out with the owner? He's going to be on the. I wanted Ron to come in and slap the arrogance out of everybody in there, and get rid of all of the people that you know that a lot of us and not fans have had to deal with over the years uh, with a losing organization. Yeah, you know, I've told the story many times. You know, Super Bowl several years ago, and key executives to the Redskins are following Scott Van Pelt around some you know, event, Super Bowl night event, like like with their tongues hanging out, trying to talk them into how great of a franchise. And at one point he just turned around and said, can you stop following me? 
and and they're telling him how great he is and how he should come back to a game and he can sit with the owner and the whole thing and how they're going to be they got, they're going to have a great free agency. Shut up! I don't want Rivera <laughs> caught up in all this bullshit, and others have. You know, over 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 time, others have gotten caught up into all of it. And you know, if you don't get caught up into it, you, you're you're usually on the outs pretty quickly. I want to. This, this is what I this is what I came up with the phrase the aura of self destruction when I, you walk I know. in that building. You get consumed by this 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 spirit this 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 atmosphere that that turns smart men into dummies. That, yeah. that turns strong men in the weaklings. I mean, that, that's what it does. I mean, this is, I've, I've called the Redskins the, the elephant graveyard of the NFL. This is where careers go to die. Smart people have walked in that building and left with their careers in tatters. Have we seen anything on Ron Rivera's contract with the Redskins in terms of, uh, have, have we seen any dollar amount yet? I don't think we no. have, right? No, I don't think we have. Either. We saw we saw that it was a five year deal. We never saw any financial terms. I, I believe no. I'm right about that. I could be wrong. Maybe we've had that since. Um, I just chill out. Those of you that are listening that are getting upset here, okay? I'm a Ron Rivera fan. I am all in on Ron Rivera. I just, when I heard that, and I coupled that with all of the Mr. Snyder stuff and everything else, I'm like, get to work, brother. Get to work. Don't get caught up. So many of you listening have no idea, no idea how bad it's been out there over the years. You've heard us talk about it, and there there's some things that we haven't really been able to talk about at times. And some things it didn't make sense to talk about because we didn't know it for fact. We just heard it from multiple people. It is, there's been a level of arrogance out there in the last 10 years you wouldn't believe. Now, I'm hopeful that some of that is gone with Bruce Allen and that Ron Rivera is truly in this coach-centric culture in this, in this format is going to be able to slap all of it out of him and be humble, and we're not going to talk about how great we are, and we're not going to treat you know partners and vendors and different people in the same. We're this is going to be a different level of class of organization, win or lose. But I don't know. Call Trent Williams. Look, how about that? Uh, you're right. Look, this is, this, I mean, about how bad it's been, and that people don't realize it. That speaks to one of Lavero's rules that if things look bad from the outside, <laughs> they're worse inside. They're far worse. Yeah, they're far worse inside. Yeah, and that has been the case it over ha- there in that building. It has been. Um, quick word about mybookie.ag. The Super Bowl's over. Doesn't mean you you don't still bet if you're a better. Be careful. All right, tread lightly. Uh, don't get yourself in too deep. Um, but if you want to wager on sports and you got the March Madness coming up around the corner and you don't have a place to wager, mybookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC when you make your deposit and they'll match your deposit halfway. That's KevinDC at mybookie.ag. So a um, couple of things real quickly. Uh, the Redskins' odds for uh, – I talked about this on the show yesterday, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. The Redskins have been installed as 150-1 to underdogs to make the Super Bowl. That's the 32nd 
uh, position out of 32 teams. They are the longest odds on the board. They also have, according to sportsbook.com, the lowest win uh, loss uh, over under number at five and a half for the 2020 season. So I got a lot of feedback to, to mentioning this yesterday, yesterday, and people are like, wow, that's a huge opportunity. I mean, you know, people outside of this market aren't, uh, don't get it. They've got a better roster. They've got a good coaching staff. Haskins is going to be pretty oh decent. My God. And so, oh my God. I, so I, I would ask you the question, and then I'll answer it afterwards. What are we missing that Vegas isn't? All I know is that I heard the same speech from people, particularly people who covered a team last year, where they, where throughout the national media and uh, odds makers and people like that, that people were talking about four and twelve seasons for the Redskins this year, and everyone in Washington scoffed at that. Everyone in D.C. thought, well, not everyone, but most people thought, what a level of disrespect. This team is going to be good. There's no well, way. They're I didn't think they were going to be good. You I didn't, know. You didn't but, think they were going to be good. I know. But we heard that. We heard that from people who covered the team who thought how ridiculous it was that, pe- that people were figuring that the Redskins would be so bad. And here we are again. The same story. I mean, I don't know. You know, based on results, instead of this imagined potential of talent, I don't know how you could pick the Redskins for anything but but at the bottom of, of the barrel. I just don't. Well, I do. I, I disagree with you. Let me just say this. I, I think the, the number one reason, it's not, you know, aura of dysfun- you know, of dysfunction. It's not the owner. Um, it is that Vegas doesn't believe in Haskins. I think that's the number one reason that the Redskins' odds are so long and that, you know, virtually every look ahead to 2020, uh, the 2020 NFL season is predicting that the Redskins won't be any good. Um, I think it's that most people outside of this market are not believers in Dwayne Haskins, and that's fine. I, I, I am a bit of a believer in, in him being able to do it, you know, maybe not at an elite level, but I think he's going to be more than, than, than functional uh, at the position. But I think that that's the number one reason why the odds are why they are. Um, this time around, I didn't feel this way last year, this time around, I will look at that over-under number. I do think this is a roster capable of 8-8, eight and eight, um, capable of 7-9, and nine, you know. And, you know, 8-8 eight and eight means you could be 6-6, six and six, you know, in late November with a chance to compete for something in December. Um, I think they're good enough with good coaching, and I think they'll, get, they'll be much better coached this year to be a much better team, to make a big jump. I, I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. I don't think they're going to win the division or, or, or be a wild card team. But I think there's a big jump ahead, and I think there there is this time around, I would actually agree with a lot of people. I think that they're being undervalued um, by uh, by the odds makers, uh, significantly undervalued, actually. I, Listen, I, you, you, can, you can have your position and still recognize that the, that the view of the Redskins from outside is a legitimate, reasonable view that they've earned. I, In other words, both things can be right. You could say, I think they're undervalued, but I certainly understand why everyone's picking them at the bottom. 
Yeah, I know, but you know that that's not why they're at the bottom. They're not at the bottom because people think that this is just an organization that is a total mess. Because if that were true, then you know teams in recent years like the Browns, you would have thought the same way about them, and and th- they're coming off a very disappointing season after there were expectations, and they're they're at thirty to one. They're like in the top ten, top twelve of Super Bowl odds. So. I think it's just I, I really believe that it's about Dwayne Haskins. I think that they look at it and say, you gotta have the quarterback to make a legitimate run and they don't have the quarterback. I think they're gonna be wrong. I don't know if they're gonna be they might might not be wrong about whether or not he turns into a Super Bowl quarterback, but I think he's gonna be better than than some people think. But anyway, um that's that. You ha- I have a couple I have a couple other things real quickly, but you said you had something. Well, let me ask you a question, buddy. Yeah. Buddy. Did you read my column? I haven't read your. I did not read your column. I'm sorry. I emailed it to you twice. Okay. Two times. You know, I'm going to have to have my agent redo my contract here. <laughs> your, your big contract requires, with the podcast. Yes, that yeah. requires you to read my column. You know, I read it a lot, and I'm a fan of it. I didn't read it. I did not see you. I, I saw one email from you. I don't see two. Well, I said two. Um, I said two. Mm. Uh. It's only the best thing that was written in this town in the past three days. And it's not even close. Here it is. Brain injuries take shine off NFL's week of glitz. This is the column you're talking about? This is the best column written in D.C. in the last three days? Okay, tell us about it. Okay. What I, you know, this is the the celebration of football, the Super Bowl. Everyone comes up with the list of the, the top Super Bowl teams, you know, the best quarterbacks. Everyone's compiling their own list. I came up with my list. The all-time brain damage Super Bowl. <laughs> oh my God! Are you see? This is what you. This is what you wrote about the all-time yes. brain damage Super Bowl list or NFL list. No brain damage Super Bowl list. Oh Every I, I picked, went position by position oh. to pick to pick a team of of players who have played in the Super Bowl. Who have suffered brain damage? Oh my God! Look at this, Tommy. Wow. Have you hold on before before you tell everybody who's on this list? Have you gotten a reaction to this? Yeah, I've gotten some, not as much as I would have thought, but I've gotten some. Your your all time brain damage Super Bowl team. All right, let's start it off offensively. Okay. Well, I don't want to go through the whole list. <laughs> well, give us some highlights. But, uh, Okay, well, Kenny Stabler, I've got a quarterback. Uh, did Stabler have? He, did Stabler have CTE? When, when he died of colon cancer, uh, the family asked if they could, you know, do a study of his brain, and he was found to have significant CTE damage. Wow, God, he's brain. one of my all-time favorite players. All right, it, it was either him or Jim McMahon. Uh, McMahon has has talked about how he has memory loss. Right. And things like that, but I put Kenny Saber on the list because he was a better quarterback. Uh, running back uh, Tony Dorsett. Yeah. Tony Dorsett has yes, spoken often has. about right. he has shortened long-term memory loss. Uh, Jamal Anderson, who played for the Atlanta Falcons in the Falcons Super Bowl, has also been diagnosed with brain damage. This is so depressing. CTE. This is as you know? de- this is as depressing as the Google ad during the Super Bowl about memory loss and dementia. Uh, you know, John Mackey, 
Mm-hmm. Obviously, well, yeah, of course. John Mackey, you know, the Mackey plan is all based on on his dementia, mm-hmm. uh, the money that the NFL and the NFLPA comes up with to take care of, of, of players. Uh, I've got I've got a tackle on there, a former Chiefs tackle named Jim Tyre. I remember okay, Jim Tyre. Okay, Jim Tyre. Uh, I think nine years after he was done playing, shot his wife and then shot himself. Boy, this is now, this is upbeat. Now, uh, now I, I you know, he was never diagnosed with brain damage, so I took a leap of faith and said that I'm betting that he was suffering from some brain damage. And then you know the, the list goes on. This is cheery. Uh, this but, is this is a cheery conversation we're having right now. Well, it's it, it, it's just a, a dose of reality, right? And amidst all, all the Super Bowl, you know, basically, right? Here's Tommy, Super Bowl right. orgy, right? You know, I'm the spoil sport at the orgy. Yes, you are. You are the spoil sport. So, uh, you know, it goes through uh, on the defensive line, the linebackers. I mean, it's amazing how many people on this list have either shot themselves or committed suicide uh, on this list. Junior Seau is on the list. Dave Dewerson. Willie Wood just passed away yesterday. The former Packers uh, Hall of Fame safety uh, who lived in D.C. was a D.C. native. Right. Uh, he had dementia the last 10 or 12 years uh, of his life. So, I, I, yeah, I came this up with depressing. the all-brain damage Super Bowl team. That's great. I mean, what made you think of it? I mean, was it was it Shakira and J Lo at halftime? Was it some of the commercials? Was it the excitement of the game, the Mahomes performance, the Nick Bosa? What was it that made you sit there during the Super Bowl and say, "I'm going to create the all-time brain damage Super Bowl t- uh, roster"? Well, yeah, look, I usually my Super Bowl column to uh, <laughs> basically take you behind inside baseball. I'm not, you know, I'm not at the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is going to end at 10.30, you know, quarter to 11, mm-hmm. too late for our print edition. But they want to have a Super Bowl column in the paper the next day that would stand up no matter what happened in the game. Right. Well, this one does because they're all yeah. done. Yeah. Right. So I usually come mm-hmm. up with something, mm-hmm. and it's usually basically pissing on everyone's cornflakes. <laughs> That's what you, you know, did. I wrote one year, one year I wrote about uh, – uh, I interviewed Art Schleister's wife, uh, Mitzi Schleister, oh, who boy. had devoted her life to uh, to uh, re- rehabilitating gamblers. That was a Super Bowl. Wow, I, I, I I'd like one. to read that one. That's interesting. Yeah. She had a front row uh, seat for some real degenerate uh, activity. Yes. yes, she did. Uh, and, and so I, I did a column once with. Uh, uh, I forget the guy's name. Was it Ron Mix or whoever? Yeah. A former Chargers offensive lineman who played for the Redskins, who basically suffered brain damage and couldn't get any uh, attention from the NFL Players Union when it came to disability help. So my Super Bowl column is usually this column. Right. I mean, the one a couple years ago when I wrote how Radio Row had basically become, you know, this this parade. Of, of damaged football bodies uh, being paraded through Radio Row. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so well, is, I mean, thanks for brightening up the day. Okay. But, it, you, listen, 
It's a pretty creative column. You have to admit. Yeah, no, I, 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 right when you, I mean, I didn't, I opened it as you were starting to talk about it, and I just saw that the the title, the title didn't really describe what it was. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, you know what? It's a really good column idea. I, I, it, it's an attention getter. That's for sure. It's a, it's a bit depressing. There's no doubt. It's a bit uh, grim. Um, but you know what? It's a good segue, actually, into my next topic, sort of. I spent some time yesterday talking about Alex Smith's comments to Jeremy Schapp on Outside the Lines. Did you see that? And did you hear or read what Alex Smith said? Yes, I did. And what were your thoughts? My thoughts are, look, I'm the one who wrote he had 17 surgeries. So I knew how bad off his, his his leg was. Did I know it was about you know it was on the verge of being amputated? I didn't know specifically that, but I knew that they had to do everything they could to save it. So I I mean I knew how bad off he was, and which is why I just can't I can't believe that he's going to be able to play, no matter what he thinks. I just can't I I can't wrap my my arms around that thought. Yeah, that that's I mean I I in sitting there and watching it and listening to him and listening to to him talk about sepsis and near death and then after surviving and living to talk about the decision that he was faced with either amputation or limb salvage surgery um and choosing limb salvage surgery which is quite a drastic surgery um to essentially save the leg um I just, he's not playing next year. He's never playing football again, nor should he. Nor should he. So You know, I don't, I, I guess, I, look, unless I was there, unless I went through what he went through, I, I guess I can't understand it. And I was not, I've never been a high-level competitive athlete like Alex Smith is, so I don't understand the competitiveness of it per se. But if it were me and I went through what he did, I would just be happy to put one foot in front of the other for the rest of my life. I mean, I think it's it's you know it's also in his situation with young kids and a wife. It's a it's sort of a family ordeal too. And and I look the competitive athlete part. God, I I hope he gets into a position to be able to play to actually have a decision because that's what he's driving towards. You know, health like supreme health and and sort of the ability to say, look what I just accomplished in my comeback. But he he's not playing, and I just don't see that ever happening. I can't see it as an organization, them wanting him to play. And then, you know, brass tacks sort of, you know, uh, putting the compassion part aside and putting the business up front, he wasn't very good as a healthy 34-year-old here. Like, you know, if you're talking about football and what's best for the organization moving forward as they try to make, you know, uh, turn around this franchise, a 36-year-old, you know, uh, hampered version, uh, compromised version of what we saw two years ago isn't the way to go. Um, lastly, I just wanted to read... But, but, yeah, go but ahead. Ron Rivera, Ron Rivera mentions his name every chance he gets. I know, and I think that's part... Uh, of his strategy to make sure Dwayne knows that this isn't okay. being handed to him. But then again, Dwayne knows what what uh, Alex went through. And if Alex is on the roster at $21 million next year as a third-string quarterback and is a mentor to Dwayne Haskins, I mean, 
Uh, everybody will cheer that and be happy for it. I, I don't ever think he'll. I don't think he'll ever step foot on the field. Last thing, um, and we're going to run for the day. So a bit of a shortened uh, podcast, but we've covered a number a number of topics. Todd McShay's 2.0 version mock draft is out, and I just want to read to you what he wrote about Chase Young, who he's got going second to the Redskins after Joe Burrow goes to Cincinnati one overall. He writes the following. This could be the easiest pick on the board, and considering the Redskins were 10th in the league with 46 sacks, it doesn't have much to do with a particular need. No, this instead has everything to do with the special talent of Young, who has one of the highest grades I've ever given a player in two decades of scouting. Last year's number two pick and former Buckeyes teammate Nick Bosa was a difference maker in year one. But the scary truth is that Young is an even better prospect. He can line up opposite Montez Sweat at defensive end or drop back into a 3-4 outside linebacker role. It doesn't matter. Young will be in the face of opposing quarterbacks every Sunday. He led the nation with 16 and a half sacks in 2019, and he missed two games. By the way, I just picked up on something. He actually had Matt Ioannidis in this uh breakdown before not Montez Sweat, and I just realized why he changed it. He he was thinking that Matt Ioannidis was a defensive end. I was thinking when he said he can line up opposite, I was thinking he was saying line up next to, but whatever. Um, this is, to me, after watching Nick Bosa, who I believe was the best player on the field on Sunday, bar none. Not that, that he's the best player in general. Mahomes is that. But in terms of his performance, I thought Nick, Nick Bosa stood out. 11 pressures, quarterback pressures. If it had been a normal quarterback on Sunday, he probably would have had five or six sacks in the game. Uh, but the quarterback wasn't normal, but it d- didn't take away from Bosa's performance, which I thought was dominant and spectacular in every way, shape, and form. If Chase Young is better than Bosa, if he's his equal, you don't even think about it. It's a no-brainer. You take Chase Young if he's there at number two. I would be concerned that Cincinnati says he's the number one player on, on our board by a lot. Even though we need the quarterback, we're going to take Chase Young. But I think it's a no-brainer in watching Bosa if, and what, Young what as a college Miami, player. What if Miami comes to you and says, we'll make an RG3-type trade, in two, including our high two number one picks from this year and, and the number one pick for, for next year as well, and two number twos? It would, the answer would be no if I've evaluated Chase Young as sort of the highest evaluation I've had on a player in two decades. The answer would be with without even blinking, no. I'm going to take the best player I've seen on the board in two decades. I'm going to take the player that I think is better than Nick Bosa, who's already proved during his rookie season that he is an elite, an elite game-wrecking pass rusher. So, yeah, I, I, would, take, I, I, I would take Young. I, I, I can't say you're wrong, but I wouldn't tell anyone they're wrong to make that trade either. I, I, I don't think you, I, I don't think you can go. Wrong I would only tell them that, that they're wrong if they evaluated him in the same way that McShay's evaluating him. If they have him evaluated differently, then they would be right. Now, who knows if they'll be right long term? But in the moment, if they think Chase Young is a is a really good player, but not an elite prospect, then you make the trade. But it'll depend on how they evaluate him. If they evaluate him in the same way Todd McShay's evaluated him, you take him. Unless somebody's going to offer you five first rounders, and then you you know and make you an offer that you really can't refuse, um, but it would take that. Um, 
All right, uh, we got to run. Terps tonight, Aaron, are you going? I will not be going. You're not going. No. I think I am going. I think I am going, even though I hate the 7 o'clock games. I think I will be there tonight. Tommy, are you going to the Maryland game game tonight or not? No, I was at the Iowa game, which which is a pretty good game, and they look good. Yeah, they look really good. Uh, They're ranked ninth in the country, and Rutgers fell out of the top 25, but this should be a tough game, although they are seven-and-a-half-point favorites, which – is encouraging. All right, uh, Tommy, go feel better. Thanks for calling in. Aaron, the same. Have a great day, everybody. Uh, Again, off tomorrow, Thursday, Friday, and Monday. I'll, I'll talk to you with Tommy next Tuesday.